You'll turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. We want to continue in our study of Daniel. This morning I want to read to you beginning in verse 20 of Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, to the end of the chapter. Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. You know, there are some people in life that you listen to them talk and converse, and as you interact with them, you're not ever quite sure if they're serious or if they're kidding. You try your best to get to know them and you hear them, And you think you know them, and just about the time you think you know them, they're saying something serious, but you take them as kidding, and then all of a sudden they get upset at you because you didn't take them seriously. Or vice versa. It's just you never can figure them out. Well, I want us to read Daniel this morning and recognize there are things that we can know about Daniel and things that we may or may not know about Daniel. I want us to understand We don't know Daniel's sense of humor. I don't know if he talked in jokes or riddles or... I don't know that. I don't know what kind of person he was and whether he was jovial or 
Whether he was sullen, I, I, I don't know. But the text gives us two important things that we need to understand, and both of them involve the context of something that will drive us to an understanding of the hope that's in the gospel. And one of those helps us to see Daniel for who he is and the message that he is giving. We need to note that Daniel is a serious-minded man. He's a sincere man. Even as he retells all of these contents, we see a seriousness and a sincereness about what he is doing. Think about it for a moment as he's recounting even Gabriel coming to him. At the end of verse 21, he says, He came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. That's interesting. As one writer notes, it had been well nigh 70 years since Daniel, as a very young teenager, had been in Jerusalem. All the time of an evening sacrifice, he had not seen it one time in the last 50 years. And yet, Daniel recounts everything about what's happening to him in the context of worship and the evening sacrifice. He is a sincere-minded man who's living his life thinking about who his God is and what his God is doing, even so much so that after the exhausting time of seeing the previous visions, now when Gabriel comes to give him the answer, the way he recalls Gabriel's timing and coming to him is that it was about the time of the evening sacrifice. As one writer said, Daniel's clock is still tied to the Lord's ordinances, non-existent as they are at the moment. It gives us a sense, whatever we're about to read, however difficult it may be, however struggling it may be to comprehend pieces of it, there are some things that we need to understand because God has used a serious and sincere-minded believer to leave us with these words. First of all, we need to note this morning that Daniel prayed extensively regarding unrighteousness. Before we ever get to the ideas of the prophecy, note verse 20. Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel. Daniel is so sincere and thoughtful. The way he's dealing with these visions and the way he's dealing with God's revelation to him, even in reading it in Jeremiah 25, as we noted last week, this is a man who is still thinking about his own sin. He's recognizing who he is. Although God has used him... Now I want you to think about Daniel for a minute. This is a man who's been used widely at this point. He has been in the upper echelons of leadership in 
major world powers. He has been one who has been called in before great kings to tell of what would happen to them and their nations. I don't know about you, but nobody's really... I've never had a president call me and ask me anything I cared about or thought. Not one. Not one president has ever called me and said, Hey, Brandon, I'd like to know what you think about this. Daniel is a man that has had power in his hands that you and I, probably all of us, can't even really fathom. And yet in his sincerity and his serious mindedness of who he is in God's economy, what's he doing? He's confessing his own sin, his own unrighteousness. That's what he's doing. Now while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin, gives us an indication, once again, and a reminder of the importance of not just praying for things that we want, but praying that God would deal with our sin. I'm a sinner. I'm no better than any of you in the room, and I'm probably a lot worse than everybody in the room. I'm a sinner. Are we confessing that before God? While we're asking and praying for all these other things, are we seriously praying about our own unrighteousness? Daniel was that sincere and that serious about everything that was happening that while Gabriel shows up, he's praying about his own sin. He's praying about Israel's unrighteousness. Daniel recognizes that whatever God is about to do or whatever God is about to reveal, the greatest revelation that he had already given to Israel and it had been given for decades was that Israel had sinned against God multiple times, which means that the people of Israel, the individuals, had continued in sin against God over and over and over and over again. A lot of people don't want to hear about sin. I don't want to hear about it. I'd rather somebody just tell me, hey, you're a nice guy, Brandon. We like you. We enjoy you. You're a great guy. That's the things you want to hear. You want to hear people tell you the nice things. Well, God's told us the nice things. We were created in his image. But he's also had to tell us the truth, that we've sinned against him. We've sinned against him as people all over this world, every single individual that's ever lived, is living, and will live before the return of Christ, we are sinners. Nations have sinned against God. People groups, tribes have sinned against God. Some of it has been done on a a holistic corporate scale, and some of it has been done on an individual scale. And Daniel sees it and knows it because he's been reading the scripture. And when Gabriel is coming to him, this is what he's doing, is confessing. God, we as a people have sinned against you. We're your people. I 
I'm sad to say that in most local churches in America today, we're not praying this way. We're talking about, come, Lord, come, give me what I want, make me feel your power, but we're not actually on our knees before God saying to him, we have sinned against you as a church. We have not looked to your word to tell us how to worship. We have not looked to your word to tell us how to function. We've not been steady in your word to continue functioning that way, to continue worshiping that way. We have not been steady as a people to follow the truths of your word in dealing with sin among us, with dealing with our own sin. We've not been steady as churches of God's people being willing to grow in your word and deal with our sin. Sin is any action of body and thought of mind that goes directly against God's law. What one of us can say that we have not longed after something else greater than we have longed after God? That's breaking the commandments, that's idolatry. I want that thing more than I want to love God. That's coveting. Daniel is so sincere, so serious-minded, even though God has used him in ways that you and I mostly cannot fathom and understand. He's been in places of power in ways that you and I cannot understand. Here's a man in his sincerity that's saying, here's what I'm doing. I'm confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. But secondly, Daniel prayed extensively regarding God's righteousness. He prayed extensively regarding unrighteousness, that of himself and his people. But he prayed also extensively regarding God's righteousness. It says that in this prayer, he's presenting his supplications or petitions. And he's presenting them before the Lord his God. He presented his petitions to the Lord who is righteous. Why go to God and pray and make supplication or petition if he's not righteous, if he's not pure, if he's not holy? What would be the point? I might as well make a statue and pray to it. I might as well fashion an idol in my mind and, and honor it and pray to it. If the Lord God Almighty is not pure and holy, everything He is and does is not pure holiness and righteousness in all things, why even pray to Him? And Daniel's saying, this is who I'm praying to. I'm praying to the righteous God. I am unrighteous. I recognize who I am, and now I am praying to you, for I recognize who you are. You're righteous, 
And in your righteousness, your perfection, your holiness, you're the only one who will not only hear my supplications, but you are the only one who can understand them and know where those supplications fit in the scheme of the whole of the universe. He recognizes that only God knows the future of his own life and how he will be used and where he will go and what he will do. He recognizes only God knows the future of the people of Israel. When he's making these supplications, he's making them before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of God. The holy mountain of God, the reference there to the idea of Jerusalem, the city, the place of sacrifice, the place of temple worship. He's wanting worship to be restored. He had not seen a temple sacrifice in some 50 years. The temple had been completely shut down and done away with by 587 B.C. He had been gone since since 605 B.C. There's nothing left there. He's not seen it except when he was a small child or a, a young teenager. And he's saying, I want to see worship again. I want to know it. I want to understand it. I want to to worship God again in the way that we were called to worship Him. And he knows only that petition can be made to the Lord who is righteous. He knows that only that petition can be made to the Lord who solves our unrighteousness. Part of the temple worship was dealing with unrighteousness. That's why it was so important to him. Here he is praying and confessing sin, confessing the sin of his people, and yet there's no sacrificial system. There's nothing that's been happening, and yet he knows the Lord will provide a sacrifice. He knows the Lord is working these things out, but he has no idea how. But he believes, and it was reckoned to him. Hmm. He presented positions to the Lord who not only is righteous and solves our unrighteousness, he presented petitions to the Lord who sustains his people. How in the world is anything good going to come out of Israel's plight? The northern kingdom was just destroyed in 722 B.C. At this point, that's almost 200 years ago. 180, give or take a few. The southern kingdom has been destroyed in his time. He watched the unfolding of the captivity of Israel, Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar leading the people out, taking them from their homes, scattering all over the kingdom of Babylon taking children like Daniel out of their homes from their parents and moving them very far away. He witnessed it. He was a part of it. He was there. And he says, this is what they did. What hope is there for us? But he knows this is the Lord who sustains his people. 
And so he's making these supplications, these petitions. Before we ever get to Gabriel coming and the words of Gabriel here, you have to recognize the context of what is taking place. This is not some haphazard moment of some guy, woe is me, I'm not in my home, da-da-da, been here a lot of years, and oh, Gabriel! Wow! No, this is an outworking of things. And Daniel's getting the picture. He's a sincere, serious-minded man in, in, in God's economy, understanding only the Lord can do something. Our plight is so desperate. It's so terrible. Everything has just been disintegrated. All the things we knew because of our sin and even because of my sin. What hope do we have? He says, only the Lord God Almighty, who is one, and I'm praying to Him. And as He's praying and confessing and bringing these petitions, as only the Lord will do, the Lord brings an answer. Now, first of all, we need to note the Lord doesn't always bring these kinds of answers. It's, I think it's a little bit of a sad situation in many of our churches today that people are always looking for this kind of an answer, that there would be a Gabriel moment. This is the Lord speaking to Daniel through Gabriel in a specific way for a specific time. The next time Gabriel will be seen will be a lot different circumstances. So don't go around always looking for a Gabriel moment. But you can grab something from this that's very important. God does answer his people. And God does give his people hope. Well, that's number three this morning. Daniel prayed extensively regarding hope in God's revelation. Daniel prayed extensively regarding hope in God's revelation. So he prayed extensively regarding unrighteousness. He prayed extensively regarding God's righteousness. And he prayed extensively regarding hope in God's revelation. I didn't have a word that rhymed with righteousness or unrighteousness to put there. And I thought that would be silly to try too hard to do that. So you all know the word revelation, and we'll talk about it. It's more plain anyway. So just to know, I had a little struggle in my study of mentally getting through the fact that this doesn't all work out like I wanted to. But you need to know the Lord answers prayer because he got me through that, and I was able to put that on paper and read it to you. See? So we've already had an answer of prayer today. Before we get into this section, I think you need to note as we work through verses 21 to 27, especially verses 24 to 27 are probably, 
I would think they've got to be in the top five most difficult passages in all of Scripture. So I don't want your hopes to get up real high that 24 to 27 is now going to be understood by you and you'll never forget it and you'll have it in your brain and it'll all stay there. Um, 24 to 27 especially are difficult passages and you just need to be aware of that. So it means you need to perk up a little bit and pay attention because that's going to help you get through it. But it also means that there's a sense of which there's going to be lots of disagreement about these passages in the church. Some of that disagreement is more important than others. Okay? My goal here this morning in looking at these passages is not to give you the one interpretation that if you don't believe it, you're a heretic. No. My goal here is to give you the overarching idea and theme of these passages so that you will understand them in their context and you can walk away seeing what God was giving to Daniel. So as we work through this, some of you have read more on this over your Christian life than others have. Some of you have moved your position of how you view these passages multiple times. That's okay. But there has to be some overarching theme that you understand and that you and I can grab hold of that we can get beyond just looking at numbers and mathematics and equations and all those kinds of things. So let's make sure we get that part of it. And then if later we want to talk about working out the equations and the years and all those kind of things, we can talk about that. We need to note in verse 21 that Daniel received an answer from God, and it was through Gabriel. Here's how revelation came in this specific instance. It came through Gabriel. Now, Gabriel had appeared to Daniel before, and Daniel recognizes him as, as then the man Gabriel. Um, we... We know that Daniel has no other way here to recognize Gabriel but as a, as a creature. And that's why the, the word man is being used here, is he sees him as a creature. He's a created being. And he recognizes him as such, and he recognizes him as this messenger. And so through Gabriel, Daniel received hope from God. So he gets an answer through Gabriel, and then Daniel received Hope from God through Daniel, or excuse me, through Gabriel. This is the idea that you need to understand. It's all about the importance of a present and a future hope. If you don't get that, then it won't matter. Everything that you're going to read after this appearance, because Gabriel says, listen carefully. O Daniel, I have now come forth, verse 22, to give you insight with understanding. Now, what's the insight? Daniel, in the previous visions in chapter 7 and 8, was exhausted, and he was still trying to figure out the previous visions. What were the previous visions? They were about the four beasts. We went through that over several weeks in 7 and 8. I'm not going to rehearse that. But those four beasts, those four beasts were pertaining 
to the kingdoms and the rulers of four major kingdoms and nations from Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. That's what those visions were about. And the information was given in these visions by way of these beasts. Of course, this perplexed Daniel. He's trying to think through it. He's exhausted after he sees these things because the fourth beast is so terrifying, it was not even something he could even recognize. Well, here Gabriel says, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. So Gabriel received a command to come, to tell you this insight. Why would I come and tell you this insight? He says, because you're highly esteemed. The Lord has raised you up for a purpose. Whatever is going on in your life, Daniel, the Lord raised you up for it and he has set you up on it. So, Daniel, give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Now, to you and I, when we read verses 24 through 27, if you just read through it, gain understanding of what? Seventy weeks have been decreed. Seven weeks, 62 weeks, another one week. What, what do we make of all this? Well, I want you to note in verse 24, we're going to walk through this just carefully because I want you to see how to put this together so that you get the most important portion. Verse 24, here's the message that Gabriel gives. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people. Now, first of all, let's understand, let's take away the 70 weeks for a moment and look at this phrase, have been decreed. This is talking about time. There is a time decreed. That's the message. There is a time decree. Now the decree is important. The decree is saying this is something in eternity past that God has known and understood and planned and worked out before time began. God is eternal, so He's not bound by time. God doesn't work in the idea of the decree necessarily in this sequential way that we think about things as being in time. He just is... And he plans and works it out. He just is. And his plan is. You and I don't comprehend that because we wake up in the morning, we write a list, or some of you do. Um, I, I try and sometimes I forget half the list. But, you know, we, we write things down, we make a list. Here's a plan for the day. Number one, I will remember where I put my keys. Number two... I will remember to send this email. Number three, I will remember to take that pill. Number four, I will remember this and that the other. That's the way we work. God is not like us, the scripture says. He is eternal. The first thing we have to understand is, is that there is a decree. God has a plan and it is just as he is. 
in that decree, it concerns time. And this is why Daniel receives a message message that says, 70 weeks have been decreed. So, there is a time decreed. What's in the decree? Well, there's an outline here that gives us some very important information. Seven things are shown. There's a time decreed for your people. So something's going to be for the people of God. There's a time decreed for your holy city. Something about Jerusalem is important. There's a time decree, or excuse me, a time decreed to finish the transgression. Something about transgressions against God. We're going to get some information that's important. There's a time decreed to make atonement. Oh, this is getting good. All right. Daniel's, remember, he's still thinking on sacrifice time. He's still thinking about worship. Gabriel came to him in that evening time of the evening sacrifice. He's still thinking like that. When's atonement going to be made? How's that going to get worked out? How are our sins going to get paid for? Gabriel says, don't worry. There's a time decreed to make atonement. There's a time decreed to bring in everlasting righteousness. Wait a second. This is more than just something temporal now. All of a sudden now we're talking about making atonement and we're talking about everlasting righteousness. Continuing along in verse 24, there's a time decreed to fulfill prophecy. Seal up vision and prophecy. That's the idea. It's fulfillment. There's already been lots of prophecy made. There's already been lots of things said. And there's coming a time that all that will be sealed up. The visions and the prophecies, they'll be fulfilled. And it's been decreed. And lastly, there's a time decreed to anoint the most holy place. So in every one of these pieces of information, Daniel is receiving something that he's going, God does have a plan. There is a purpose. There's a purpose to all of this, even the captivity itself. There's a purpose and a plan here. It's giving Daniel this understanding of there there being real hope that God is going to do something. Now I want you to know I do not think in any way Daniel understood every single piece of this information given him. He couldn't have. Daniel didn't have a vision about specifically seeing in his mind a picture of the Lord Jesus walking on the earth with the disciples and going to the cross and dying a sinner's death. And being raised on the third day. He he didn't see it with all that clarity. He didn't understand all of that. But he's getting the pieces of information that tell him there's hope here far beyond even what he can fully comprehend. So he gets this list of things that have been decreed. And then in verse 25, it says, So you are to know and discern. 
So that gives us information. There are things to know regarding the decree. There is information that God is willing to give about the decree. There is something that he offers to Daniel here. There are things to understand. Well, what can we understand? Well, here in verse 25, you see an outworking of the 70 weeks from verse 24. He says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, in a later verse, it talks about one week. So all of a sudden now the 70 weeks began to be pared down here in verse 25 to 27. We need to think about these numbers now for just a moment. Okay? The numbers are not as specific mathematically as they are symbolically. The numbers are not as specific mathematically as they are symbolically. Now, why do I say that? This is important for you to understand. Uh, Over the years, I don't know how many people I've read on this. I don't know how many people I've read, and I had no idea what they were saying. Um, I don't know how many explanations I've seen of this that are more confusing than the atom bomb. Um, It it, it just... There has to be a symbolic nature to these numbers. You know why? Because I've never read anybody that actually literally interpreted these passages. You say, oh, I read them. No, no, you hadn't either. You know why? I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're the best dispensationalist writer known to man. I don't care who they are. Nobody has interpreted these passages actually literally. You know how I know it? Because the word is 70 weeks And at the very beginning, everybody changes the weeks to years. So anybody that wants to tell me that they literally interpret these passages, they start off just blowing their whole premise apart. Because they start trying to tell me that these weeks are not actual weeks. They start telling me those weeks mean years. So what am I supposed to get out of that? Something symbolic, right? Now, we shouldn't be amazed at that. We shouldn't have a problem with it. This happens often in Scripture. The Scripture often uses numbers in a symbolic way. We have to recognize these numbers and their symbolic nature provide the context for hope. The idea of 70 or seven sevens from the Hebrew. This is the idea of the number seven and its perfection. So what is Daniel getting from this? The idea of 70. Seven is the number of perfection. So that which is decreed is perfect. Whatever's been decreed... The number seven is represented in the context of perfection, so whatever is decreed is perfect. Whatever he's learning, it's perfect. 
Whatever is being revealed to him, it's perfect. Whatever God is going to do in the near, the present, and, or excuse me, the present and the near future and the far future, it's all perfect. And you say, why is that a big deal? Well, it should be a big deal because if God is perfect and whatever he's going to do is perfect, then all of his plan is perfect and therefore I ought to have hope that everything is going to happen perfectly according to God's plan. And not one thing is going to be outside of his plan. Not even a rogue molecule. The Webb telescope will not find a roving piece of space granite floating in orbit. And God doesn't know where it's going, where it came from, how it got there, and what its purpose is. Everything. Everything. So when you see that number 70 weeks, it has to have some symbolic nature to it because everybody changes it to years. In the symbolism is the importance historically through the scripture, the idea of the number seven is about perfection. So the decree is perfect. Specifically the the decree that will be given to Daniel, he's supposed to take this and say, you know what? Gabriel is giving me Word from God that whatever he is about to do, it is perfect. Why will this be important? Because in this decree, it doesn't guarantee to the people of Israel that everything's going to be solved immediately. Now, just think with me for just a moment. If you go to the doctor, You've been having some physical problems. And you tell the doctor all the symptoms. And the doctor starts to take down all the information. And they draw some blood. And they get back to you with that information. And they say to you, oh, there's no problem. This can be worked out immediately. Just do this, 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 and this. And it's all going to be just taken care of immediately. What do you do when you hear that news? Right? Right? If the doctor says, this is long, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be really hard, well, is there any hope? You wait to hear the doctor say yes or no, don't you? In this revelation given to Daniel, they're told that all of this is going to be solved, but it will take time. Seventy weeks is giving them a lengthy period of time. But it's promised that it will get solved. And it's even promised that what will be solved is something that's everlasting. It's even beyond what they could even fathom. It's not just that they'll be able to go back to the temple at the end of the 70 years, which is coming up. It's really soon to happen. We discussed that in in previous sermon, that it's near. They're about to be, by Cyrus, given an opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. Ezra and Nehemiah tell us that based on what Cyrus did, that we're, we're, we're seeing a time that they're going to go back and rebuild the temple. But this is even further than that, because it's talking about this is to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. 
That's something far greater than just getting to go back to Jerusalem. Well, not only are they seeing that which is decreed is perfect by the number seven, but they're seeing that the numbers have a a sum, a total. Seventy weeks is pared down, he says in verse 25, so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, and that's speaking of that decree from Cyrus, I think, there's a debate about that, you all need to know that, some people want to put it a little earlier, and all these kind of things, but I think right here he's saying, this is about this decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. One of those two numbers add up to 69. But it's not until you get over here to verse 27 that it talks about the one week. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. There's our total sum. 62, or excuse me, 7, 62, and 1 gives you 70. All right? Now, say, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal here is is that it gives you a sum total. So that which is decreed is final. Two plus two equals what? What? Four. Now, I know we live in modern America now. Is that changing? No! I don't care what they're saying out there. Two plus two is four. Two plus two is four. That's a sum. It's a total. It's final. So this decree that's offered here in the adding up of these numbers, whatever the connection may be between the numbers and history itself, they add up to something final. What is so final? What is final is that God will show His people Israel a way back to Jerusalem, but also show them that that temple sacrifice was never meant to be the once and for all sacrifice. There will be a, per- a period of history where they're able to return and live there and reestablish the temple worship. But it's never meant to be the once and for all sacrifice. Because that sacrificial system, according to Hebrews, was only a template, a display. The blood of a bull or a goat or a heifer could never accomplish what the blood of the Messiah did accomplish. When we see the finality of these things rightly, we'll understand that the history that is being worked out here is a history of these four nations from the beasts 
how the people of God will be brought back into play among the times of those nations. And even when the final beasts come, that final beast of Rome, when it comes and Roman, the Roman Empire says, we've destroyed Christianity, Daniel is having it revealed to him that all hope is not lost. Because when the Messiah in that one week comes and he does his work that 70th week, the final sacrifice is made and even when the temple is destroyed in A.D. 70, some 40 years after Christ's death or 37 years after Christ's death or depending on the calendar, 34 years after Christ's death, we know when Christ died and was raised, temple service was no more. And even when the temple was literally, and I mean, go read Josephus, when it was literally torn and burned to the ground and Jerusalem was just nothing, Daniel had no idea of all that, but he's given the hope, the pattern right there to say, the people could say, the hope is in this Messiah. And he's revealed in time as the Christ, Jesus, none other. Now wherever we want to put the numbers and try to work out the numbers, 490 years plus this 102 or all the... The equations are not the issue. Do you get the big picture? And do I get it? I'll leave you with these thoughts. All of this prophecy provided the message of the coming Messiah, not exact time, the exact time of his coming. Now, I say that strangely, right? From a human perspective, it's not exact because we couldn't understand it. But in the decree, it will be exact, right? Jesus Christ came right on time according to the decree. The decree was set. And yet for us, and for Daniel in his day, the goal was not for Daniel to sit down and do all the math and figure out, so when's he coming? So it is with the second coming. No reason to take the book of Revelation and to try to read it back into Daniel and figure out the exact day of the second coming of Christ. What we need to know is He came and He's coming again. And when He comes again, He comes once. That's it. There's no two second comings. There's only one. Remember the hope for Daniel and his people is that even the greatest beast of Rome was literally tamed and destroyed by God's king. He's reigning today. Amen? No matter what president is on the, not the throne, but sitting in the Oval Office, no matter what king is out there on the throne, it doesn't matter. He's reigning today. Lastly, all of this prophecy provided hope 
not mathematical equations and calculations. Some of those conversations can be had. They can be interesting. They can be important to us understanding some of the historical context. But at the end of the day, that was not the point of the vision. The point of the vision was to provide hope. Hope that had been decreed, hope that was perfect, and hope that was final. And it's all wrapped up in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and died for sinners like you and me. He was raised on the third day. The hope was real for Israel at the time. The hope was real for Israel in its future. And the hope is real for us as believers. See these things rightly. Be encouraged and be strengthened that no matter what comes our way, God has a purpose in his decree. It may take a lengthy period of time from Daniel to Christ was some 600 years. But even though it may take a lengthy period of time, God is ruling and reigning and he is sustaining his people. This earth may last another thousand. I don't know. And nobody else does too, no matter what they tell you. They don't know. Could Christ return today? Yes, he could. All prophecy has been fulfilled that he could return this very day. Will he? I don't know. But I know he will, and I'm hopeful he will, because he's going to set things right. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've been merciful to give us your word. We pray the Spirit of God would use these truths to the benefit of our souls, and especially as we come now to your table. May the Spirit work in our hearts and minds that we would confess our sin rightly. And this time, may we be like our brother Daniel, be serious and sincere-minded people that confess our own sin, confess the sin of the body of Christ, We praise you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Amen.